welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Great. Well, we've got a really cool show this week with Vincent Bray in uh, Montreal in Canada. So uh, I'm speaking to two kind of like seasoned work-from-home veterans in a world where the coronavirus has changed pretty much everybody's lives. Welcome to the show, Vincent. Hi, and thank you for having me. What major tip do you have for working from home as someone who's done this for a fair, fair bit of time? Oh, of course. Um, so I've been working working from home for the last um, four years, I would say, uh, full-time and maybe a, a year before that, uh, part-time. I would say that you need to make sure that, uh, if possible, you have a dedicated room that you can close so you are not disturbed. That's one of the main uh, key points. Also, you need to make sure that you're properly sat down with a desk, with screens. Quick tip on this one, Ethernet connections opposed to Wi-Fi are much better for calls. Like if you don't get uh, video freezing or audio freezing uh, nearly as much as uh, when you're on Wi-Fi. I also struggle not to go into the kitchen and have some snacks all the time. So <laughs> my tip on this one uh, would be not to start because once you start, you're basically doomed for the day. So leave it there and, and hope to forget about all the snacks in the kitchen. And I also have the um, Quando Busy Light. I've had it for a couple of years now, a couple of years. Um, it's a little USB light that you can plug to your computer and that displays the color of your status on Teams or Skype for Business, depending on whichever you're using. It's really useful to let know either partners or kids that you are busy or not and whether they can interrupt you or not. So this way they don't have to say, hey, are you busy now? And it's too late, right? They have already interrupted you. This is the guy with no kids. If I had a light (laughs) that said red, that would not stop Scarlett from coming and wanting to sit on me. (laughs) But it's fine. You you live that dream, Vincent. Just wait till you have kids. (laughs) They're really good tips. Yeah, Yeah. You know, all those tips are great. And I would second all of those as a as a work from home all the time but everything's out the window now that the entire household is working from home so in fact just before we started recording uh, my daughter called facetime my wife yeah. with the grandkids and it's like well perfect timing i'm busy <laughs> so that but yeah it's uh, those are all great tips i would second every single one of those it's worth it and, and get a good chair yeah uh, you know you've got to get a good chair uh, that's the first thing you should spend money on so and so for those that don't know you, and you have been on the show, but it was it was all the way back in July oh, wow. of 2018. That's how long ago that show was, uh, which is pretty cool. Like we had you back then talking about open extensions and calendaring. So if you haven't listened to that show, I do remember distinctly having that conversation with you because you did a community call on it. Exactly. So I guess uh, I have you to blame for that as a couple of other people <laughs> like Daryl Miller and so on. So I used to be um, Microsoft Office Dev MVP, and uh, they renamed us a couple of times also before that. And as part of a process, uh, as part of that, you get to talk a lot with Microsoft product teams on the graph or SharePoint framework or other things, right? And well, Jeremy and Daryl and other people know that I can get pretty vocal about issues when I see something which is not working the way it's supposed to be or the way I want it to work, and so on. And after 
I guess, being tired of me complaining all the time, they said, hey, come fix it. So I kind of switched to the dark the side. side. And now, you were on the um, dark side. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a dark side. We have to admit it. It's a dark side. Um, so I'm a program manager on the Microsoft Graph, and I mostly focus on what we call change tracking. So the ability to follow changes in the graph, and we'll probably talk more about that during the, the remaining of the show, as well as other high performance scenarios and a few other things. That's really cool. It's been a pleasure to have you on the team. It it has been interesting because I'd obviously had two stints at this. So moving to engineering is a lot of the nuances I was already familiar with, but it's been really interesting to uh, see you kind of open your eyes to wow, there's a lot that goes on here. And these are the reasons sometimes it takes longer than what you would think it would do as an outsider to get things done. Um, and we try and do this on a podcast just to explain the complexities. But like for you, like how have you found it? What's been like the biggest lesson you've learned that maybe from the outside isn't that obvious that now on the inside, like, I mean, how long have you been there now? You've been here? Three, uh, almost three months in yeah. two days. Yeah. Well, that's okay. So by the time this podcast is out, you've reached your three-month probation, so you can say whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't risk being fired because of that. Oh, perfect, then. Uh, I think one of the biggest learnings I've done joining the team is actually discovering how many people are involved with a Microsoft Graph. From an external standpoint, we always see, well, yourself, uh, Daryl, Yina, and maybe a few other people in the community, right? As And also as part of interactions with the MVPs and a few other things, right? So we imagine from an, uh, an outside perspective, all right, there might be, I don't know, like 20 or 50 people working on the Microsoft Graph, right? But it's actually way more than that because it involves people in the identity division, which I'm in for all the authentication, authorization, and some service layers. It involves uh, all the different uh, services in Office, like Exchange, like Teams, like, um, I don't know, SharePoint, for example, um, as well as a few other folks in different divisions that I haven't met yet, right? So this explains a little bit why when a, a change is requested in, in the service or on when we want something to work differently, um, there's a really a lot of work and planning effort that goes into making sure that we don't break stuff or it makes sense across the board. And of course, when you have so many people to coordinate, it's going to take time and it's not an, an, an easy thing to do, right? So that's, I, I think that's one of my biggest learnings since I joined uh, the, the team. Yeah, definitely this notion of, and I'm working with a, a new she interned with us and she's going to be starting with us full-time on Monday. And this kind of notion of getting a shared understanding across just the core areas of the graph, which as you mentioned, you're in identity division, which reports up through uh, Alex Simons and Scott Guthrie and oh, Joy Chick, sorry. And then on our side, like we report through Perry Clark and through to Rajesh Yar. And so there's different management styles are different things that those two EVPs are focused on and so the shared understanding and again agreement can be quite tough sometimes to get everyone aligned that said in a way that makes sense for how you're being told in the identity division to target and prioritize versus how we're being told in E&D and so uh, the graph being so broad within the company like that uh, across divisions is, is sometimes really challenging and there aren't many parts of Microsoft where that's actually the case a lot of the time, a PM can make a decision as long as he gets the approval from his boss and his skip boss. Whereas, like pretty much every decision we make, we've got to go speak to 
at least you know 20 different people across different areas of the business to get their approval to move forward so it's a fun challenge and you get very good at I, I sometimes I look by watch what's going on in the world and seeing all these politicians and how they have to go win over people and the public and I often think, hang on, we're just glorified politicians when we're PM sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I would probably never get into politics, uh, especially after the, the, the PM experience. It is a, a lot of work just to get your ideas clear so everyone can understand the same thing you're thinking of. Just just doing that exercise it, it actually requires a lot of thinking and a lot of work, more than I might have anticipated when I first accepted the job, for example, right? So I can imagine that a politician that has so many more people that he, he or she needs to talk to, that's almost an impossible job. Now I can have feel for them uh, after, after experiencing that, <laughs> the PM world, right? Yeah. I think the first thing we do as a PM is just acknowledge that there are always going to be smarter people around you that are going to see things at like a bigger, broader lens that will bring uh, or establish your ideas and enrich them more than what you'll be able to do. And over time, you grow those skills. And so me working with Yina and Daryl and yourself, like every time I share spec or a proposal like the just incredible just to see what questions come out of it we like i hadn't even thought about that or i would have never thought to ask that question or question those numbers that i got and so it's it's always a time to learn as a pm and you know you over time you you know you get your experience and you know to ask those questions the next time those kind of projects come up but it's just fascinating seeing people that have been in this role for a long time and how quickly they can get to those types of complex questions that really challenge like what you've proposed. So, and that's what I, I find. Like, no day is the same. <laughs> and so as a PM, what, what do you own on the graph? Yeah, so uh, there are two main things that I own uh, that are change notifications, so aka webhooks. So it's the ability for any developer to say, Hey Graph, please let me know when this resource or this data, if you want to, to be uh, clear on that, changes, um, and, and let me know when it changes, so I can, um, you know, implement custom line of business logic, start some workflow, do do a few things, right? And the second thing I own is uh, Delta queries. So this one is a bit different. It's the ability to see a log of all the changes that happen for a specific resource to say, hey, uh, last time I checked the, let's say, the emails of this user, I, I was at that uh, stage. What has changed since? Did the user receive any new email? Did they delete emails? Did they do uh, other things? So it's really useful when you have scenarios like, um, I want to sync the data that's on the graph to any other media, for example, uh, an application um, or some kind of uh, data loss prevention service or anything like that. And you want to make sure that you are not missing any changes and you're getting all the changes that are happening uh, in, in the graph. So those are the two main areas I'm helping with as a program manager. And I also help with a few other discrete subjects like high performance and a few other things like that. So what strikes me as interesting is that if I need to do synchronization of the data, right? There's a, a lot of concerns about that. From my my initial thought is, well, why would I want to why would I want to synchronize all that data? There's clearly some protections that Microsoft has in place to keep that data safe, right? So, so do you see a lot of developers, a lot of people trying to get this data out to synchronize? 
it's they, they don't necessarily synchronize it for the purpose of duplicating the data, but sometimes they just want to keep track of what is changing to audit the data, to audit the changes, to make sure it's compliant. All those kinds of applications are also a very big users of um, Delta queries and, and sometimes webhooks as well. So again, you can use them to make a copy of the data and, and copy it locally. For example, if you have a, an application on your phone, right, you want to have some kind of offline capabilities. So you don't want to be hanging on the fact that you have always connectivity on your phone to be able to, I don't know, see the messages or do something else, right? So this is, this is one of the cases where you might want to synchronize the user's data locally. And the best way to do that, again, is through uh, Delta queries. But again, synchronizing the data locally is not the only scenario we're tackling here. We have a, a whole lot of other scenarios that don't necessarily copy and store the data locally because, as you mentioned, it, it might be causing other issues in terms of uh, privacy and a few other things, right? So, yeah. I like what you kind of d described there. So if I if I need an offline scenario and I reconnect, that, that's not a webhook scenario, right? That would be more, that's dealt to, to say what's changed since last time I connected, whereas yeah. the webhooks, is yeah. it real time? Or, or is there expectation that it's going to be real time? Or, or, or can you even talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, uh, so the expectations for, for webhooks uh, is that they are almost real time, uh, I would say, and they are for for those kind of scenarios. Why do I say almost real time? It's because for any kind of high scale distributed massive system, you are going to see delays between the time where the users do something or the application does something for an API and the time it replicates across the system and the time you get a notification eventually for that. It's, it can be measured sometimes in milliseconds, sometimes in seconds, sometimes in minutes. It depends on the service, how it's built, is it busy right now or not. But it's not real-time like a transactional database. This is what I'm trying to say here. But yeah, the goal of the webhooks is to make sure that you can be notified almost real-time of any changes that are happening in the graph so long as the resource supports webhooks. Um, so you can do things like display notifications to the end users or kickstart some kind of um, process about you know looking at the change and looking uh, into the change to see if it, is it compliant or is it respecting some kind of policy or anything like that. And again, there are uh, tons of other scenarios that you could implement where you need some almost real-time notification of what's changing. And what, what types of scenarios are the most common ones that you see them being used for on the graph? So for webhooks, um, it is uh, sometimes... So we we do have different audiences, right? Because a lot of different personas are using the graph, as you already know. We have the ISVs that are building uh, solutions that they are potentially reselling. We have customers that are building in-house solutions. We have consulting companies that are doing a bit of mix of both. Uh, so it really appeals differently to those different audiences. But I would say that it ranges from, we do have a lot of ISVs that build, again, compliance or uh, retention um, kind of services. And they want to know as soon as a change happens in order to start analyzing the change and reacting if this change is wrong for whatever reason that the, the company decides, right? So that's that's one big use case of, of, of uh, webhooks or change notifications. 
another set of uh, reasons why people are using webhooks is because they are building some kind of portal or some kind of uh, solution or application that displays a UI to the user and they want that solution to be interactive, right? So we, we are way past the ages where in order to see changes on a website or on an application, you need to refresh the website or refresh the application, right? So they are leveraging webhooks as a way to say, hey, something's changed. All right, I need to go see that new data and I need to push that new data to the UI, to the users currently using it, right? So they, they use webhooks to be able to have this kind of this feeling of liveliness in the application and and not force the user you know to refresh the page refresh the application and you know i would just interject there right so what i can see happening going forward is that as i as i'm building uh on top of the graph or the microsoft 365 platform there's i'm interacting between services and perhaps webhooks can let me know when a transaction that applies to both and i'm thinking like you know group provisioning or i create a team and when is the plan created those types of things i can certainly see some some benefits to say hey i can listen for a webhook across different services so that i it, almost like a distributed transaction if you will right yeah. so i can see there being some use around there yeah uh, uh yes that would be a very um so we do have a few limitations here and i know you mentioned uh, planner for example uh we do not have um a great support of planner for webhooks but again if and that's for everyone not just you paul if you have any idea of hey this resource does not support webhooks and i would like it to support webhooks go to microsoftgraph.uservoice.com and upvote existing ideas or create a new idea if it's not existing already and say hey i want webhooks for this thing or for that thing uh, because we again it's not because uh, an API is on the graph that it has a webhook support today. Uh, we're always trying to onboard and bring new resources to to support webhooks and Delta queries as well. But yes, uh, you could also leverage um, uh, webhooks for those kinds of more end-to-end -end scenarios where you create something on one hand and check that or get notified that it's been created or it's been reflected on the other system on the other hand and so on and so forth, right? So you could do um, implement those things thanks to webhooks. And then... Um the documentation page for change notifications is is the place to go, right? I guess, I'm guessing that's a, to see what's in there. And I'm just clicking in there now because I remember when webhooks first came out, it was it was basically Outlook things, and 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 then even SharePoint had the concept too of, of giving you a change notification or a webhook where you would get an ID. And so here, you know, something there's a new message in folder X, so, so I'd have to go to folder X and issue the Delta query to see what it was, right? And so I've heard rumblings around uh, on the internet about how that that something's different. And I know the Teams team has gone a different approach. So can you talk about what that means and, and is there official name for how we describe that and, and what that would be instead of having to call back to the service a second time? Of course, uh, yeah, that's one of the biggest um, suggestions, I'll put it this way, that we got on, on, on around Webhooks is, hey, it's great to let me know that something has changed, but you don't tell me what has changed. So I do have to call the graph back, which adds a lot of complexities and latency and so on and so forth, right? So we do have this new feature that we internally call rich notifications, but there are actually notifications with resource data on the public documentation, but it's in preview. 
and implemented by Microsoft Teams for chat messages and channel messages today that allow you to not only get a signal that, hey, something has changed or something has been created, but also to get the, uh, the content of what has changed. For example, in the case of Teams messages, well, the subject of a message, the body of a message, and a few other uh, information like that. Those, uh, again, are in preview, so they might change in the future, but uh, the, they just work like classic or plain notifications, the ones we were just talking about uh, earlier, but they also include uh, that, that additional data. The, way, uh, the main difference is being uh, when you create your subscription, you do have a new flag that is include resource data and you set it to true. That's to say to the graph, hey, when something changed, uh, also tell me what has changed and give me the data with that, right? And you also have to include an encryption certificate when you create the subscription. Why are we doing that? Because we want to make sure that only you as a subscriber are able to uh, read the content of a notification. We want to make sure that whatever happens, even if the network gets compromised, even if other things uh, go bad, nobody else but you will be able to read uh, the content of a notification because, again, it potentially contains sensitive data and we want to make sure your data is safe and secure all the time. So once you do that, you will have created your um, rich subscription, I guess, or your subscription with data. And whenever something changes, you'll get those notifications. They have exactly the same shape as the plain notifications today, except that they include additional properties that are the encrypted payload, um, as well as validation tokens. So. Why do we have so many things? So first, the validation tokens are here to help you make sure that the notification is coming from the graph and not a rogue actor trying to make you execute your code, uh, but they are not the graph effectively, right? So you can use those validation tokens that are JWT tokens, uh, tokens to make sure again, it comes from the graph and nobody else and it's secured and you can trust the origin of that, of that, of that set of notifications. Then we do include the encrypted data and it's encrypted two ways. When the uh, workload or when Teams, for example, generates the, this notification, they, at the same time, they, they generate a single use AES encryption key. As it's a symmetric encryption key. So they use that to not only encrypt the data, but also generate a digital signature of the data. And I'll come back to that later. And once they've done that, they use the public certificate that you provided um, when you created the subscription to encrypt the key itself. And they do attach all of that, the encrypted data, the encrypted symmetric key, and uh, the digital signature, uh, all of that to the notification payload. So you, when you receive that, oh, the first thing you have to do is validate the tokens that I've already talked about. And then you can use the private key of your certificate to decrypt the uh, symmetric encryption key, the AES uh, key. And you can use in turn that key to do two things. First, validate the signature of the payload. And second, uh, decrypt the payload so you can access the data and do whatever you need to do with, uh, with the data. Why do we have a digital signature? Well, it's to make sure that, uh, again, whatever happens on the network or whatever conditions uh, are happening, um, if anybody tries to tamper with the data or tries to replace some kind of a payload with, but with a different uh, data in there, some kind of notification, but with 
with a different data in there, you know that this is a not a valid notification and you should discard it and not, not uh, try to do anything uh, with that. So by those three mechanisms, you're sure that the a notification comes from us and not from anybody else. It hasn't been tampered with and it's only uh, visible to you. Nobody can open it or, or view the content. And with that, you can access that content and you do not need to call the graph uh, back uh, to, to get the data that has changed. So do we have like good samples of that? Because that's quite a complicated program. I mean, I totally understand why we're doing it. And I agree that from a security perspective, this, like from a business side, this is really important that it isn't poked into. But is there good samples to someone could grab to see that flow? Yeah, it's very good that you're bringing that up. Uh, we are working on kind of updating our samples for uh, notifications, not just rich notifications, but notifications overall. Because, you know, things like they were created a couple of years ago, things have changed since. Uh, for example, Node.js has a couple of new versions. .NET Core has also a couple of new versions and so on and so forth. So today for rich notifications specifically, we do have a separate sample. We are working on kind of merging uh, uh, or combining with the existing sample we already have for plain uh, notifications that uh, shows you how to validate the tokens, uh, validate the signature, decrypt the encryption key, and decrypt the data with that encryption, encryption key. So all of that is here. We also have a Java Spring um, sample that does the exact same things, but for Java Spring applications. And the third one on my list, once I get there, is to update uh, first and then augment the uh, Node.js uh, sample, so you can do those exact same things. Today, it's not; um, it doesn't contain that information, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to, as soon as I can, uh, add that information in, in there. And also on the documentation page, you do have code, very, very short code samples on how to do that in, uh, again, .NET and Java, and I'm, tr I'm trying to get um, Node.js there as soon as possible. The big thing that's going to trip me up that I, is I'm going to forget about the expiration of the certificate I give you. So d does the service tell me at all that the certificate's expiring, or is that something I need to put in my calendar and remember to renew the certificate? And, and, I, and I'm guessing there's uh, some way to do that, right? I can resubscribe or something? So that's a very good point you're bringing as well. We do not require the certificates to be valid. So you don't need to buy those certificates or they can be expired to some extent. That's that's perfectly fine to some extent. Um, they are self-signing the certificate. So again, any self-signing certificate will do. However, we do recommend that you rotate those periodically, you know, in, or, in order to mitigate uh, any uh, risk of them being compromised and also to make sure, you know, it's like renewing passwords and all those kind of things, right? And the way you can do that is by patching the subscription, existing subscription, saying, hey, for the same ID, what you have to make sure is that, is that you're using the same certificate ID. Uh, here is the new certificate public key value. And um, in the backend, we will update our stores to say, hey, this subscription now uses this new certificate instead, and you're good to go. So as long as you patch the subscription, providing the new certificate public key and the same ID for the, well, both the subscription and the certificate ID, they'll be, um, uh, you, you, can, you can rotate those. And you have to patch the subscription every three days anyway, right? Because otherwise yes. they just expire. So, yeah, you know, the webhooks, I think, to use them, there is a fair amount of scaffolding and investment in whatever you're building to get keep those things up. Like you can't just subscribe and expect the graph just to continuously 
you know endlessly call you for the rest of time like you have to keep telling the service that you yes we still want to keep receiving these webhooks and so you know we do have a good ms learn module on this that's available on our training page that you can go look at and i think we're going to improve that enhance that to include the rich notifications or change notifications with resource objects um into the ms learn once this stuff goes v1 because it's still in beta with teams for the channels and the chats right Yes, it's still in beta for Teams today, and Teams is the only one that supports rich notifications or notifications with resource data. Uh, we are working on potentially adding a new uh, entities or a new resources there to support the rich notifications again. And again, if you do have suggestions for which ones we should do first, again, user voice, uh, go create new ideas, go upvote existing ideas. It's going to be a, a good indicator for us to uh, prioritize some resource versus another one in our plans as well. Yeah, and I think that's kind of useful is that microsoftgraph.uservoice.com. We we do see a fair bit of signal there around the webhook stuff. We were talking about this this morning regarding something else, but um, it's always useful for other people to go in, go in there and add their comments of what their asks are. I know there are, you know, there are some obvious out candidates from the feedback I get from talking to lots of partners. But again, having it that central and user voice really helps us when we go speak to a workload and say, hey, look, next semester planning's coming, which um, we're in manganese right now planning, which is January to June. July to December for most of Microsoft is going to be the iron planning season um, as we go through the periodic table. And so this is a great time to go uh, influencing what you want done on user voice so that we can go make sure that they commit to things in their next semesters. And then I guess the other aspect of this scenario wise is that for those that don't want near real time, they don't want to be like nudged, hey, Jeremy's got another email in his inbox or there's a new task in planner group. They just want to check on a periodic time frame, like once a day as a cron job. Cron job. Azure function or something. That tells a lot about your age, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> showing Paul's age. Hey! <laughs> I was trying to be inclusive of our audience, our direct audience. Uh, what, what I, is that really where the Delta scenario fits in? You know, like they kind of fit hand in hand, but the Delta is like the other side of that, right? Yeah, of course. Um if you're building something which is more periodic or requires non-lossy, meaning that you want to make sure you have all the changes in place and you and you track all those different changes, uh, Delta queries are more adapted to, to those kind of scenarios, yeah. So it just occurred to me, I ran across something, and I think I have the right PM on the line, and, and yes, I'll put it in user voice, but the Delta li- query link, the Delta link that you get back has an embedded token of some sort, right? Not that I care what that is, but but I ran into an issue that it was not working because I hadn't I hadn't made the delta call in over 30 days. Exactly. So But my my issue is I'm sorry to cut you off, right? So in 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 the response there's an error code. Obviously there's the HTTP status code, but then there's also an error code property and the code that I got back was something along the lines of um not allowed or invalid request. And I didn't know that it was the Delta query issue until I dug down into the description, you know, two layers deep in the error. So I would, I'm, I'm, my plan is to say, hey, let's get a, a, a better code in there for, for that expiration scenario. So we're always happy to take suggestions for documentation improvements. Um, there are a couple of things to keep in mind here. First, 
we are trying to refrain uh, creating too many uh, different top-level error codes because then it will be confusing for people to say, how am I supposed to handle this or that and so on and so forth, right? And we also do have to respect the HTTP uh, protocol itself, right? a small detail. But then this specific issue of tokens only being valid for a certain period of time, it's how it's supposed to behave, right? And it is documented in the docs. It might be buried a little bit, but it is documented in the docs that if you do not query your delta... So just to recap for everyone so they know how it works. When you query the delta query, the delta endpoint, you'll get the changes that happened since the beginning of time, basically. And after you're done going through all the next links to go through all the changes that exist today, you'll get what we call a delta link which contains a delta token so that delta token is kind of a timestamp so we know when you you call us back hey this was the last time uh this was i was up to this point uh tracking and following up with the changes right so then when we receive a delta token we need to give you the new changes moving onwards and nothing older than that this is how it works and those timestamps are only validated for a certain time it depends on the different delta endpoints uh, for AAD entities, uh, Azure Active Directory entities, it is 30 days. And yes, it is expected that if you pass those 30 days, you will get that error. And the uh, remediation here is to start over, like clear the local copies of the local things you might have locally and start syncing again from a net new Delta link and following the link all the way to, to the point where you don't get uh, items anymore and to the point where you get a Delta link again for the next time to come. But yeah, uh, this behavior is expected. Yeah, there's a lot of questions on Stack Overflow where people get that that question and don't know what to do with it, or get that error and don't know what to do with it. Yeah, it, it totally makes sense. It, it, I absolutely on board with that. It just was hard to find that error, but uh, I'll find my details and I'll put that in user voice for you. So <laughs> please do. Because yeah, you don't have anything else to work on, right? Just doing what Paul asks is always a, a top of your list, I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Uh, we. This is why they hired me. Uh, like, make Paul happy, and we'll be uh, you'll, you'll be successful. Vin, Vincent's still ramping up. He's still learning. <laughs> I think day day two, Vincent was basically pushed into the flames of uh, a hot pan and uh, asked to go fix some pretty major things. Which has been good to have someone with a lot of the technical detail, like depth in there, to go help out. Which has been great. Um, so I know we're getting long on time, but I have one last thing. You mentioned earlier how you're working with the SDKs around the notifications. So, so what, what, does that, what does that mean? I, I, I'm pretty sure you can call Delta. Well, I know you can call Delta with the SDK now, right? But what is it, what, what is it you're referring to, the changes there that we can look forward to? Yeah. So again, I, I was on the other side not long ago, right? And I've used webhooks as a consumer um, implementing webhooks and subscribing to changes for applications I was building. And one thing that was really frustrating for me is for, as I was working for a consulting company, is like for every new project, I needed to create what was, what's in a notification, you know, with different properties and what's a, notif a notification collection to say, hey, we have a bunch of notifications coming at once and also handle the deserialization of the payload and handle the validation token and a few other things like that, right? Uh, as well as uh, figuring out what's the resource path to create the subscription at the first place, right? And now that I'm kind of uh, inside uh, <laughs> inside the company, I can uh, help fix those things. Um, so 
one thing that we did a couple of months ago was for the .NET community contribution library to add an extension method, which is get resource path or get resource subscription path. Uh, anyway, auto completion will, will help you at this point. So uh, if you use that additional uh, contribution library that I think Paul, you're driving with a couple of other folks. Uh, the idea is that you do not have to type um, uh, strings manually and figure out what is the resource path. You just call that method and it gives it to you. Time saved, uh, error saved as well, and so on. So everybody's happy. Another thing that we're doing right now, but it's not available yet, is to make sure that all those types that I was mentioning, what is a notification, what is a notification collection, how do we deal with the encrypted content, all those things are part of the SDK. So you do not have to, again, re-implement those very basic entities and maybe get also some other things like the encryption, token validation, signature validation, and so on and so forth done for you. And you don't have to write that code either, right? And that's going to save everyone a lot of time. So that's another thing I'm, I'm working on uh, as well. That, that's awesome. Yeah, and you can already obviously uh, create subscriptions with the SDK that's already su supported, and you can also query Delta queries with the SDK that's already su supported as you as you mentioned. Well, I look forward I look forward to all the bunch of the stuff coming in. This is uh, useful in my day to day job, as you see. I run into errors, and anything you can do to protect me from myself, I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, look, well, thank you so much for jumping on, Vincent. Um, it's great to have you on the the podcast again, and we'll definitely schedule you as things change in future months as well um, as you, as we're shipping more of this stuff build is just around the corner and ignite is not that far behind it now um, and both are virtual so things are going to be changing up a lot in terms of how people consumes content so i think we'll be using this podcast a lot more to announce things as we as we move forward <laughs> let's make it the microsoft graph official podcast right hey that's <laughs> a great idea yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly Cool. Well, look, um, stay safe out there, everybody. And I'm hoping the podcast is keeping you sane um, as we're all trapped, isolated in our houses with very few interactions outside. And um, if you have, again, content that you don't think we're talking about, please, please reach out to Paul and I and we will go try and rope them into coming on the show so we can get to hear from them and they can share their um, opinions and we can ask your questions in the show that will be aired on m365devpodcast.com. Thank you, everyone. Cool. Thanks very much, Vincent. Cheers, Paul. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.